The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You're, you're not going to believe my life, A's fans. Here I am doing a pregame show this morning. Here I am got to do a postgame. Then I'm going to come here for a couple hours. And Commander Cody's like, hey, you're late. Hey, you're late. Are you kidding me? As they're over here hanging out, Ken Korak, and I'm working, they're over here hanging out. They're telling me I'm late. That's the kind of world I live in. Unbelievable. The game was late. wasn't my fault. The Hall of Famer, the voice of summer, is standing by. We are going to talk to David Force, the general manager. We were supposed to talk to him at 430 uh, obviously, that wasn't going to happen because the game, we didn't get done with uh, the A's Clubhouse show till after 4.30. So when we get a hold of David, we've got a lot of interesting things to get into because it's something that, you know, I've been talking about. Do we have him? All right, it is now time for the David Force Show here on A's Cast Live. David, the trading deadline has come and gone. How you feeling? <laughs> I feel good about a win today. That's about all I'm uh, all I'm thinking about now. But uh, I'm happy happy with how we came out of the deadline and, and happy with the way our guys are playing. Yeah, I think for you and we talked to Kantrovich yesterday that since this was a hard deadline, this is it. Now you sit back for the next two months, and it's all about a sprint for the postseason. You don't have to think about the waiver process and claiming people and checking that anymore. You can now just concentrate on winning. <laughs> it sounds like you're offering me a trip to Hawaii or something for the next two months, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, it, look, it's a little different feel than previous years for sure. I mean, we're, we're past the 31st. Uh, yeah, frankly, there, there's not a ton we can do at this point. Obviously, minor league guys can still be traded. Um, there's still the outright waivers that kind of may function as the new trade waivers, but um, but, yeah, a lot of our flexibility, unfortunately, is gone. But um, that was, that's why it was so important to grab a few guys before, before the, the real deadline. Yeah, before we get to Tenorora, can you explain that a little bit? Because there still is a process of being able to basically cut a guy, and there's not going to be any deal you would have to take him. Can you explain what can still happen? Yeah, it's basically the difference between uh, revocable and irrevocable waivers. So in the past, Trade waivers were something in August where you put a guy out there, teams claim him, and you can always just pull him back, and, and it's like nothing ever happened. Uh, at this point now, if you designate a guy for assignment or you otherwise need to get him off your 40-man roster, uh, your only outlet is outright waivers, which you can't pull back. So uh, you probably saw a number of guys yesterday designated for assignment when trades were made and, and guys were bringing in new new players and uh the only way you know to, to move those guys now is you put them on outright waivers and if if they get claimed that other team gets them no matter what 
So we've heard a lot about Tanner Roark. It was just interesting, you know, because of Matt Williams, his relationship with him with the Nationals. We had our old friend on Gio Gonzalez yesterday, who just was just just had nothing but wonderful things to say about Tanner. You know, so you you made the deal. Why did you go after him, and why do you think he'll be a great fit for this ball club? Well, we were, you know, we were involved in a number of starting pitchers over the past few days and really the past week. And, you know, it's always tricky trying to find that right fit. You've got different teams asking for different guys. Uh, our our goal is always to hold on to as many of our, our own players as possible in the process. Um, and we had sort of narrowed it down in the last couple of days. We, we sent Billy Owens out to see Tanner pitch on Tuesday night. He, he didn't have a great outing, but – um, but his stuff was there. And this is a guy who, like you said, he pitched for Matty Williams, so we knew about Tanner, played with some of our guys, sort of word got around that this was a, a solid veteran, a competitor, and um, and it just it worked out with the Reds. I have a relationship with their general manager, Nick Crawl. We were able to talk it through. Uh, ultimately, we, we gave him a, a good young player, a kid we like a lot, Jamison Hanna, and that's that's never easy. But it did allow us to hold on to some of the guys at the upper levels who we think may contribute in September or, or, or next year. So it just worked out to be the right deal for us. You know, we talked last time about relationships. And you mentioned Dayton Moore in Kansas City with Homer Bailey. And then Deekman comes over. You know, so much of this, especially, David, when you're up against it and you're up against the time, having those good relationships, talk about how that makes it easier to get those deals done in a pinch. It, it's huge. It really is. When you're talking to somebody on the other line of the phone, you want to be able to, to trust what they're saying. Um, I mentioned it in both cases, like you said, with Homer and Jake Diekman dealing with the Royals, both Dayton Moore and Scott Sharp over there are people we've dealt with, we've done deals with. There's a, there's a level of trust. Um, and in the case of you know Nick Crawl in Cincinnati, who I dealt with, Nick was uh, not only a bat boy here in Oakland, he was my intern years ago. Um, so I've known Nick for a long time, very proud of the way he's moved up the ranks and, and, and you know, now the general manager. But that's an easy conversation. And, and I think once we got into it and exchanged names on players, things like that, uh, there was never the sense that, you know, one was one of us was trying to get over on the other. So that's, that's ultimately the way deals happen. You know, yesterday with Gio Gonzalez, we were laughing about how, you know, you get out of the great American band box that they have there in Cincinnati and you get to come pitch here in Oakland. And Gio talking about, oh, my God, you talk about a 180 having to pitch down in Cincinnati compared to here. Why do you think his stuff will play so well here at the Coliseum? Yeah, I think Tanner's going to enjoy it. I know I know Jake Deakman said the other night uh, how much he was looking forward to pitching in our yard and. Uh, having been in the in the NL Central with some of those those parks, I know Tanner's going to. Um, you know, he's actually been a little more of a fly ball this fly ball guy this year than he has in the past. And obviously, the fly balls work here. Our, our outfield defense uh, has been fantastic, even without even without Ramon. Mark's done a nice job in center field. He made a great catch in right center last night. Uh, we're going to get Steven back here in the next couple days. Um, but but right now you put anybody in front of our defense, and I feel pretty good about how they're how they're going to pitch. Yeah, you mentioned Ramon Laureano is kind of out of nowhere where he's hitting the home run against Samson, and the next thing you know, now he's going on the disabled list, and even he was saying it could be around four weeks. What exactly happened, and when did you know he had the shin problem? 
so we, we've known for a while that he was dealing with this on and off. Um, like he said, it goes all the way back to being on the turf in Japan. And um, it, it sort of subsided for a while early in the season, playing on grass kind of helped him out. And then it just kind of, it kind of ticked up probably in the last 10 to 12 days. And he'd be getting treatment, getting his shins taped. And uh, after that game on Sunday, he finally said, you know, we should, let's, get this looked at you know dr workman orthopedist did the mri and unfortunately it came up with a stress reaction which um you know we've done this long enough we know that that if there's a signal there on the mri it's got a chance to turn into a stress fracture and that uh that's something you really want to avoid um the, the case we we talked about internally was jose iglesias when he was with the tigers missed an entire season with stress fractures in his shins so uh, there's really no choice other than to shut Ramon down. You know, we'll see how long. We'll, we'll check him again at two weeks, maybe maybe it's three or four weeks, but just to calm that thing down so that it doesn't turn into a full-blown fracture. Yeah, it's one of those injuries that, unfortunately, the only thing you can do, right, is rest. It really is, yeah. And it's, it's amazing. You think about what Ramon did in the month of July playing through that um you know it didn't didn't affect his work didn't affect his swing obviously he was on fire there for a while kind of carrying us with the bat so um you know other guys are gonna have to pick up the slack i know chris has started swing the bat well hopefully Chappie with a homer today starts to come out of it a little bit and we'll pick up the slack with the trading deadline the bomb came after one o'clock when you heard about zach grinke going to the houston astros what were your first thoughts when you heard about that deal going down <laughs> i i wasn't surprised i guess i wish i was but uh you knew houston was out there looking for a starting pitcher and even when that deadline passed at one o'clock you knew something was going to drop and and we see it every year there are deals that get in right under the wall they're just they're not announced until 5, 10, 15 minutes after. So I, I kind of braced myself for something. Uh, I was hoping it wasn't Granky, who essentially is the best guy out there. But, you know, kudos to Houston. They, they had the players to do the deal. They gave up a lot. I mean, Arizona did a nice job getting four pretty good prospects back. But uh, we're going to have to go through, you know, Granky, Cole, and, uh, and Verlander a couple more times this year. All right. You know what? Bring it on. Let's do this. Can't wait to see it. You, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And I, and I, and I think about the, the, the actual final day, there was 30 deals done on the final day that breaks the record from 2016. So it's like this whole trading deadline was slow up until the last minute, and then we had a flurry of deals to set the record. I, how did you like the way the whole process went down this year? You sort of understand at this point that uh, all of us in the industry need a deadline to actually get something done. You know, when we made the Deekman deal over the weekend, uh, it was on Saturday, and I met with the writers and talked about kind of the, the trade environment, and, and I said I said exactly that. We, we need a deadline to get pushed, and, and I, I, I think my quote that morning was, it's going to be a pretty crazy Wednesday morning is my guess. And, and that's the way it turned out. Everybody kind of doesn't get serious with their, their offers or their counter offers until there's a few hours left. And uh, like you said, it broke a record. 30 deals got done. Um, you know, only a handful of big names, I guess, as, as the media would say. But, um, but teams were busy. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm glad that we came away with three pitchers we like and, and added to this team that's playing so well. 
I know some people say this is kind of like a cliche. They say, well, once we get this guy back, it'll be like adding a free agent. But I do kind of <laughs> think, you know, I mean, we hear that every single year. But I, when I think about getting Chris Davis back on track, when I think about getting Blake Trinan back on track, Lou Trevino, when that does happen, or really starting to see it happen with Blake Trinan, that will be like adding new guys. It does. It makes a real difference. And like you said, Blake is – Blake is getting close. He's, I think, seven straight scoreless outings now. He's commanding the ball the way he wants to. And just to add someone in the pen that, that Bob can count on, you know, in a, in a game where we're ahead, you've already got Hendrick Soria and Petit throwing the ball well, added deep into that mix. And, uh, and with Blake and, and hopefully Lou down the line, he had a little trouble throwing strikes last night, but we know what Lou's capable of. And uh, eventually you get a, a bullpen of, of guys full of, of pitchers that, that you can count on late, which is great to have. Um, and then same on the offensive side. I mean, you know, we've won four out of our five with Chappie going two for his last 32 or something. Uh, you know, Chris broke through with a homer the other night. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I think we're going to get Steven back here in the next few days. So, um, you know, we got a chance to kind of get this thing rolling and, uh, and go on a run like we did last season. Yeah, Chapman was one, one for 30 before that home run, but who's counting? <laughs> I know Matt is. I, I know he he wears those at bats uh, when things aren't going good. I know he he, he holds himself accountable, and um, that was big for him to come through against Hater. But I'll say this, and I think you're going to love this also. Something I've been noticing lately as he's been struggling, you don't see it in his face in the way that he acts around his teammates. He was the happiest guy for Chris Davis to end that home run drought. He was hugging him. And then after the walk-off home run by Matt Olson, I mean, he was giving him the big hugs. It's like even when he struggles, you can tell that this young athlete cares more about the team than himself, cares more about winning than his own statistics. And that's something in modern-day sports – David, that we don't see too much. Talk about how this kid is so competitive and winning is the ultimate goal for him before he even worries about himself. You're absolutely right. And I, I heard him earlier on the show uh, talking to Vince after the game. And he was talking about how fun it is to play in meaningful games. And I, I think that's what he's about. He wants to win. You know, he's a competitor. He's, he's won at probably every level playing the game. And um, and you're right, those things you mentioned. He, he was pumped up for Ole the other night. He gave Chris the big hug in the dugout. Um, the other thing is he doesn't take it out to the field with him. I mean, he's, his defense has been sparkling, you know, uh, even throughout this thing. He made that play at shortstop the other night like he's been doing it for years. So, um, no, Choppy, he, he leads by example, and, uh, and everyone is, is excited for him when he hits the ball like he did today because of that, because of that uh, way he carries himself. Now that you've solidified your rotation, it helps me in the postgame show. Thank you for me having to say, well, when this guy gets healthy, he'll be back. But you still have some good arms there. You still got Shamanai, and you still have Jesus Lazardo. We know Puck's going to be able to help you coming out of the bullpen. So since you've solidified it, the rotation, are they now luxury items for 2019? Um, you know, check with me on September 29th and see if we had extra pitching because um, you just you can never have too much. And I, I feel much better about our depth than I did a couple weeks ago on the All-Star break uh, and thrilled. You know, Sean threw the ball well the other night. He's got another start coming up 
Um, but there's a reason teams go out and just load up on, on both starting and relief pitching because you've got to have it. you got to have it down the stretch. So, um, you know, the names you, you mentioned, Puck, Lazardo, would love to see them up here at some point this year. But um, but right now we feel good with, with the depth we've got. Yeah, the craziest stat I've seen lately, David, was last year in the postseason, 50% of all the innings pitched in the postseason were by bullpens, by far a record. I don't know if you knew that. Does that does that shock you at all? It doesn't. Not not the way the bullpen's been. Uh, excuse me. The postseason's been run the last few years. I mean, you go all the way back to those Kansas City teams in fourteen and fifteen, when uh, you know they ran four or five big arms out of the pen. That's you know that's the way you play in the postseason. It's it's a different it's a different game for one sixty two than it is in October, and um, you know you got to be ready for both. And let, let's end on this. What's the report that we've gotten recently on Sean Murphy? We know he left the game, uh, the, the knee that was surgically repaired. How is he doing? He's doing all right. We uh, He's going to go – he's heading to Arizona to see the surgeon that uh, that did his, his meniscectomy, and, um, you know, he's going to get checked out. So we don't have any answers yet. We feel a little better. But uh, hopefully we get him checked out by the surgeon and, and things are all right. So we'll have a report hopefully in the next few days. Well, congratulations on the success at the deadline, and we will talk to you next week. Great, Tony. Good to talk to you. David Forrest on the David Forrest Show here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast. And we're going to chew on that a little bit. Coming up next, it's the voice of Summer, Ken Korak. He heard a lot of this interview and we'll go over it with Ken next right here on A's Cast Live. Come see us at Plank. We're going to be here till 8 o'clock tonight. I believe tickets are still available. It's game night with the athletics. You can't beat it. We're having a party. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. We're here at Plank in Oakland, Jack London Square, game night with the Athletics. We're going to have a lot of fun. All the players are going to be here starting at 530. We're going to be bowling. But, you know, before that, you got to bring in the big dogs before that. And that's why we've got the voice of summer, the great Ken Korak, who literally I just talked to you like 40 minutes ago. You just had the GM on, so... I mean, that's about as big as it can get, right? I what mean, has changed in your life since the last time you and I spoke? Nothing, except I battled the, the traffic on the freeway getting up here, right? And I beat you here, actually. But, uh, you know, we weren't worried about you. We figured that the, uh, the A's golf cart would be waiting for you at the offices and would get you here. Right? You'd so, think, yeah, right? Yeah. Or maybe like a so, tandem bike or something to get I, me from A to B. But, you know, Commander Cody has a lot going on here. Chris, so you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of amazed that that you guys can pull this off these these remotes. Uh, it's pretty amazing, really. It's a very thankful I have shot, no man. idea. I have no idea how any of this stuff happens. It's called millennial technology. Yeah, and it's way past me, pal. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be retired on the golf course before you ever have to use this. N- no question. That's exactly right. You will be but on you know the first what? tee. You know what? When I started doing this, and when I was doing high school games. Even when I was doing uh, at your alma mater, doing San Jose State basketball, we had an engineer for football, but we engineered our own games. We would go on the road with our equipment. And in those days, they had a thing that was called a two-line Comrex. Commander's never heard of that, right? But you'd set up he the equipment. He wasn't born. No, he wasn't. That's right. 
and uh, you go all over the country doing basketball and engineering your own games. So okay, you, you, I did that until 1992. You ready for this? Yes. When I first got in the business with KMBR, and I mean, I, I was first first working there. I was helping our old friend John Schrader. Yeah. And I was helping him with Niners and Sharks. I would have a rotary phone. Look it up. Google Images. Rotary phone. And I would take the actual phone, unscrew where you talked into the yeah. phone. You put a little clip right and there. put the two clips on there. It's, yeah, we've all done that. Plugged, yeah. it, plugged it into my recorder, and that's how I sent 49er and shark sound to San Francisco from the South Bay. You had to be more innovative back then than now where you just get the sound and you email it to the studio or something like that, or you send it in a file. I remember uh, when we, they started giving us these fancy recorders and everything. Right. No one uses it. We all just use our phone. Right. Right Right now we have we have apps where we just record interviews and then turn around, just MP3 it in an email. It's done in two seconds. It's amazing. It's like magic. Good mention, though, of the great John Schrader. Yeah, who's yeah. Uh, teaching at his alma mater at in Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. yeah, good man. You know, he and I at one time. Now we're, you know, we're going back. Uh, we can back do whatever here. we want, Ken. We're getting into nostalgia here. John Schrader and I actually at one time own the television rights to the Cable Car Classic. This is, you know, going back, you know, decades. They had that when and I was in school at yeah, San Jose State. It was yeah. a big deal, and it started in San Francisco and uh, wound up down in, at Santa Clara, and they brought some really big teams in there. And we, we actually produced the telecasts and did the games of the Cable Car Classic. Uh, Art Santa Domingo, that was, yeah. his, that was his deal. Uh, so that was a lot of fun back in those days. So... What did you think overall about what the A's did right before the training deadline? Well, Chris, I thought they did exactly what um, they set out to do. Um, I thought it was great. They really improved their club. Uh, look at Homer Bailey today. As you and I talked on the postgame show, he's made four starts for the A's. Three of them have been really good. Gives the club the chance to win. Works out of several jams today. Uh, as In the first five innings, as we said, the Brewers left seven runners on base. So... To get two major league pitchers, and Tanner Roark's going to pitch on Sunday against the Cardinals, uh, major league starters, Diekman to come out of the bullpen, and not have to mortgage the future to do that, I think that was key because as you talk with uh, David, uh, the future of this ball club, Chris, and they have the position players pretty much in place right now. Uh, the future of the club, if they can take the next step, will be determined by guys like Puck and Luzardo and the rest of the guys that are coming back uh, from injuries like Holmes and Jeffries and Caprillion and Manaya, as as David mentioned, threw the ball better the other day. So uh, if you don't have to give up those guys and you can still improve your big league club for now and have a legitimate shot to get to the postseason, their most likely avenue, of course, is the wild card game. Uh, I think they did a great job. Yeah, I know there's people like, why didn't they go after Grinky? Well, if, if the problem for the A's at this deadline if you wanted to make the huge splash deal, everybody wants your major league ready guys. So are you really going to give up Puck? Are you going to give up Lazarda? And the answer is no, you're not giving up those guys. It would have depleted their farm system, number one. And two, it would have, it would have taken their payroll out of whack. Uh, you know, now the Astros aren't playing. Apparently, they're not going to pay his entire salary, but there's still a lot of money that Houston yes. is going to be on the hook for for Granky. And the A's can't get into a situation like that where you have one guy or a couple guys making a ton of money, and it really it it 
it creates some problems for you going forward when you want to spend money if that money is tied up in just uh, one player like that or a couple of players. And everybody has glor uh, glowing reviews for Tanner Rorick, whether it's Matt Williams who managed him, whether it's Blake Trinan who played with him. Gio Gonzalez was on the program yesterday. I mean, Gio loves him. Sonny Gray called Bo Mel right after the trade and uh, glowing in his endorsement of, of Roark, too. So uh, he's pitched a lot of big games, Chris. Pennant race games. He's pitched in the postseason. Uh, he pitched in the WBC for Team USA in the semifinals yeah. in 17 and pitched really well. So nothing's going to phase this guy. So uh, if you can run a legitimate starting pitcher out there every day, uh, the one thing I'm a little concerned about, losing Laureano was big. That's a tough blow, losing him. Uh, so the rest of the guys have to step up, right? It's the next, it's the next guy up. And so because they've been struggling offensively, uh, I thought today a little bit. They didn't, they didn't have a real robust game offensively today. Hit the two home runs. Uh, Chris Davis is starting to make crisper contact, don't you think? Yeah. And uh, Chapman homers off haters. So uh, they have a lot of tough guys. And I'm glad you, you mentioned uh, Chapman to, uh, to David about how you know, he wants to win. And these guys are, you know, they play with a little bit of an edge, Chris. And I, I think they're all about winning. And I think that's going to that's gonna bode well for them uh, in these last two months. Uh, and it's also what makes me think, because normally, like, like already what they're saying in Houston is, Garrett Cole is going to be out of here, right? He's a Southern California guy. You got to think the Angels or the Dodgers are going to break the bank for him. I mean, the Padres have now shown interest in breaking the bank on some people. And Wade Miley, too, is going to be gone, I think. So, but the thing that I think about Chapman is the fact that he's come up with these guys, they've won together, and he's taking ownership on this organization as a leader and as a guy that, like we said, hey, listen, he can be going bad. But all he cares about is winning. He cares about winning day in and day out. That's why I, I, I think there's going to be a chance that the A's will retain him because of what this organization means to him. Well, they don't have to cross that bridge for a while. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's going to take a lot of money to, to sign Matt uh, if, if it gets all the way to free agency with him. But, and Bo Mel relies on him for leadership. He's a young leader in the clubhouse, and all you have to do is watch him work before a game. And you're out there doing your show with oh. the commander, uh, you know, adjacent to the A's dugout. He takes infield during batting practice or before BP at game speed like it's a game. And that's the way these guys go about their business. Simeon comes out to the ballpark at 1 o'clock every afternoon for a night game, and he goes to work. So uh, they're, they're, really, you know, they're really a focus group, Chris, and uh, – yeah, and, you know, we, we heard about these guys for so long when they were coming up in the minor leagues. They said, wait till these guys get here, not just because they're good players, but because they've won in the minors. Well, they've carried that out once they've gotten back to the big league. You know how hard Chapman works before the game? That's like the complete opposite of Commander Cody before the game. Right. So you got Chapman working hard. Commander Cody is just mailing it in. It's like, two, it's like polar opposites of each other. He's looking for his lost planet airman. That's the whole deal with him. So it is what it is. But, no, that a lot of people may not know this, but the nickname that the coaching staff had for Chapman coming up was Captain America. Right. Captain America can do everything, Ken. Yes, he can, and so can the guy at first base. <laughs> the guy at first base, 
I we talk so much about Chapman, but if you talk about somebody that has 40 plus home run power and probably can do it year after year after year and play the kind of defense that makes everybody better. That's a really valuable guy. Plus, there's a cerebral quality to Olsen and the other guys too, but I, I thought it was what he said after he hit the home run off Hader on Tuesday. And he had never hit him, and Dominic Catronio had the number. He was like two for 18 lifetime yeah. against him because it went all the way back to when they were 19. I looked it up. They were in the Midwest League together. And it was also You looked that up? It was old, No, well, Dominic got the numbers and passed the numbers on to, to Vince, to his dad. But after I heard that comment from, uh, from Olsen, I looked up. Like, yeah, it, they, went, they faced each other when they were each 19 years of age in the Midwest League. And that was Olsen's first full year as a pro, and Hader was a starting pitcher. Now, Hader got him out then. He got him out for the next five <laughs> years. But you, 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 that that leads to a reservoir of information and insight for hitter like Olsen. So here it is now six years later in the 10th inning of a major league game, and even though Hader had a track record against him, he still had a feel for what Hader looked like and how to go about it and the approach in terms of, of going about trying to, to hit him. And so you can't let those moments go by without learning from them when you're in the minor leagues. Because you never know, it might be 10 or 12 years later where you're going to face a guy, you're going to think, you know what, I've got a pretty good feel for the way the ball comes out of this guy's hand. And also I think about the two of them. You know, one guy is the, is the emotional, can be raw, can be tough on you, and the other guy is just kind of quiet, goes about his business. Because it would be tough if they were both the same mentality and went about the same right, way. Right. It's the yin yang thing, right? It's like that you don't want two dominant personality, no. two dominant personalities getting married, right? That's probably not going to work, right? Right. So yeah, you're onto something. It there, was. Chris. It was like you couldn't have two Josh Donaldsons in the clubhouse. No. It was great having one. I'll yes. tell you that. He yes. Was, he was great. That's for sure. But yeah. if he had two, yeah. we might have some problems. Yeah, that's right. So that's they're, they're, But they, they play with an edge. You know, like the other day when they got into it with the Rangers, with Adrian Sampson. Yeah. I don't think the manager was too upset at that because and Laureano plays with an edge. He's a wonderful kid. He's thoughtful. He's cerebral. He's very bright. But there is an edge that I mean, in, uh, in, and I say that in a very positive way. Uh, you, you name teams that have won and they've got two or three guys that that play with an edge you have to play with yeah, that there's edge. nothing if, wrong with that. if you're going to get into october and win on october you got to be tough and and you yeah. you know who plays with it you know who's got a ton of guys that play with a lot of edge that's the houston astros well the third baseman especially right bregman and that yeah. little second baseman everybody told him he couldn't play right that guy's going to hit himself into the hall of fame absolutely yeah and, right. and Jeffrey Luno, the GM, said today in his press conference about Zach Grinke and something we want to kick around today. He says, I think we got five to six Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famers on this team. What do you think about that? Well, if, yeah, it's, uh, it's maybe a stretch, but uh, Verlander's going to be a Hall of Famer, right? The, the rest of them, you just have to project it. I think Altuve mm-hmm. will be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, if he continues to stay healthy and plays. He'll, yeah, he, he's a... He has a Hall of Fame career in the making. He's a 3,000-hit uh, guy. You know, and Bregman is a Hall of but he's Bregman's still a kid. Yeah. Really. But so the, they have guys that, uh, as you project it, and if they stay healthy and they keep producing, that's a lot to ask. You know, the, heart, the Hall of Fame is tough to get into, Chris. 
So when you start saying that somebody 25 or 6 years old is going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, let's let it play out and see if it happens. Now, we were talking on the broadcast today about the Brewers, who have never won a World Series. They've been to one in 1982. They had four Hall of Famers on that team and didn't win the World Series. Yeah. Four guys who eventually would go in the Hall of Fame. Yount, Molitor. Yeah. Raleigh. And Don Sutton. Don Sutton was on that Harvey's right. Wallbanger. That's right, yeah. Because well, I'm like, wait a minute, I know three. Who's yeah. the fourth? I forget He started Don's. the sixth game of the World Series. Don Sutton. Yeah, who was built one of Bill King's favorite all-time athletics. Really? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? I wrote about it in the, the, the most recent book. He thought that Sutton was a civilized man, <laughs> that he liked to eat dinner a little later than 6 or 7 o'clock, that he was a connoisseur of fine wine. You know, I mean, Bill was attracted to people he felt were civilized, you know, in in the Bill King uh, vernacular. Well, uh, and he also thought that Sutton was a tough competitor, which he was. You know, he really was a tough-as-nails competitor. They, they really hit it off. I mean, he really he had a great fondness for Sutton. And when we went back for the Hall of Fame two years ago when Bill got the Frick Award, my wife Denise and I were sitting with uh, Kathleen, Bill's daughter, and our group around the table out on the patio at the Otisaga Hotel. Sutton was sitting uh, two tables over. And I was able to introduce Sutton to Bill's daughter and kind of retell the story. And Sutton also uh, was able to tell Kathleen and the rest of the people, part of the party, how much fondness he had for Bill. Uh, so that was really a cool moment to hear a, a Hall of Famer talk with uh, almost a reverence for Bill King. You know, if you're going to sit down with Bill King, you better be sharp. Greg Papa, who I have great respect for, <laughs> said he couldn't have worked with Bill. He said he would have been too intimidated to work with Bill. So Papa said that? Yeah, Papa said that, yeah. Really? Well, he's on record saying that, yeah. Mm. Now Bill King was... Working with Bill was like a like taking a Ph.D. class in broadcasting. Oh. It really was. Well, you know, you did it, and there's very few. There's very few people who really can do football, basketball, baseball, and do it well. And do it, I mean, you were good at all three. We can decipher which one you thought you were best at. And the same thing with Bill. Bill was great at all three. Not a lot of people can do all three because all three are dramatically different. He was, to me, he was the best all-around radio announcer in the history of the country. I think he was the best sportscaster that the country's ever produced. But if you look at, I mean, that's so subjective. You look at the, the, the three sports on radio, uh, I thought Bill was the best of all time. I thought Dick Enberg was the best of all time on television doing all three. Uh, I really sincerely mean that. I think all of the, the late Dick Enberg and all the honors and accolades he's received, I think he might even still be a little underrated for me. The Olympics? Yeah, every, I mean, everything. He did the World Series in 82 between the, uh, the Brewers and the Cardinals. By the way, I, uh, I could talk to you all night, but you got to go. Well, yeah, we're going to hang out for a couple more minutes and then uh, have a little dinner going on about 6 o'clock. So. Nice. Uh, but we have a day. Well, you have a day off tomorrow. You guys are working. We work every day. Yes, you do. Does the commander work tomorrow? Uh, I work tomorrow, but I have weekends off. <laughs> Good so for only, you. Only Tommy works every day. Yeah, I'm the only A's employee that actually works every single day. The first scheduled Friday off since the 3rd of October of 1980. Yeah, where were you October 3rd, 1980? I was the only one at this table born then, I think. My parents I, were still in high school. I was, uh, I was eight years old. You were eight, yeah. Okay. I was alive. The rest of these, the other two guys, are you around, Commander? I was eight years from being born. 
<laughs> Joe, that means Joey's played 20 years. Joe, Joey just turned 21, so I think we know the answer there. I was I had just got my first job in broadcasting. When, when they, when, so the last time the A's have Friday off, you just got your first job? I had probably, on that Friday, done my first ever football broadcast, literally that day, I think, up in Petaluma. For who? Well, I was working for, nobody cares about it. Anybody care about this? KTOB Radio in Petaluma. And we carried the high school games up there of uh, Petaluma High and Casa Grande High, Johnny Gomes. Yeah. And uh, Rancho Catati High up in Roner Park. And a small uh, Catholic school, St. Vincent High. And I did the second half play-by-play of a St. Vincent game in the fall of 1980 with the legendary Ron Walters, who was kind of the Bill King of Petaluma because of his myriad interests. Uh, he was really a, an amazing guy. And he, he said to me at halftime, would you like to do the second half? I said, okay, we'll do this, I'll do the second half. And a star was born. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Hall of Famer, the voice of summer, Ken Korak. Go yeah. enjoy dinner. Enjoy your day off. Hit him straight tomorrow, and we'll see you on Saturday. So now you guys can talk some baseball now that I'm, I'll be gone. So. Oh, I'll no, be we're going to be talking bowling. We're going to be, I mean, who knows what we're going to get into tonight. All right, man. It, it could get crazy tonight, Ken. Thanks, buddy. It could get crazy. Thanks, Commander. We got more Good coming job, up man. next right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is over Oakland, I listen to A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, if you don't know about what happened in Cleveland, Trevor Bauer got traded. Trevor Bauer then went to the Indians game and had his own press conference. Like, the Indians did not put this on. The Indians did not say he came. Did he come as a fan? Did he buy a ticket? He did. And we'll, we might play the whole, uh, little bit of the press conference. It's uh, good stuff. It's not no. It's not. It's not a press conference. It's him just talking to the media in the press dining room. That's the best part. Wait a minute. They let him into the press yeah, box. He was, up, no, he was upstairs in the press dining room. And you see, I put a picture on Twitter. There's a. It shows like all the Indian players, and I circled it. It says right where Bauer's standing. It says Ray Fossey, the face of the franchise. Oh, uh, I'm trying to think because I was just in Cleveland. Trying to think where it would be. If it's in the dining so he he had it where they actually had the press dinners? That's what I've been told. My sources in Cleveland, I know one of their producers there for 92.3, the, the uh And the who fan. would that be? Her name's Meredith. Okay. Not our old buddy who's over there? Who? Feldhouse? Mm-hmm. No, not Feldhouse. I don't Feldhouse isn't isn't a friend. I don't I don't know him that well, so Wow. Yeah, I threw him under the bus, sorry. So Trevor Bauer had his own press conference. Unbelievable. Well, this guy's one of the best. You see him on the NFL Network. You see him on the MLB Network. Uh, He is one of the great careers in sports television. Chris Rose is with us here once again on A's Cast Live. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. How is everything? Everything is wonderful. Of course, the A's have made some trades. They've beefed up. Your Cleveland Indians made some really interesting trades. So with this hard deadline, how did you think your tribe came out? I thought they did about as well as they could have. Um, You know, everybody in the world knew that they were moving Bauer, whether it was yesterday, two days ago, or the offseason. 
I mean, he wasn't going to be an Indian after this year just because his salary was escalating to almost to almost 20 mil. They're already paying Kluber 17 and a half next year. They're really small market, and they they adhere to budget big time. And um, so you knew it was happening. But for them to get a guy in Puig that's a rental but can do some damage down the stretch, Fran Mill Reyes, who's a guy that as a DH will probably hit between 35 and 45 homers in the, in that ballpark um, and under control for the next five years, and take a shot at Logan Allen, who's a top 100 prospect, all that sort of stuff. I think it's it's pretty well done by them, I think. Yeah, when I was with the A's in Cleveland a while back and the A's swept them in that series, their big thing was we need to find more offense somehow. And it looks like able to do that with this trade. I I thought it was absolutely hilarious that Trevor Bauer shows up and has his own press conference. I think what he's done on Twitter was a great gesture saying goodbye to Cleveland. What did you think about him having his own 15-minute press conference? That's fine. I mean, uh, listen, he's he's a guy that thinks about the world in maybe a totally different way than we're all used to. Um, he believes that that kind of uh, sports media, the way that it is, if not all of media, is going to turn on its head. And it's, you know, certainly in the sports world, it's the athletes that are just going to be their own voice. And so, you know, I mean, here's the end of the day is we all have bosses. And if his new boss says, hey, listen, we get it. It's day one. You want to meet everybody, all that sort of stuff. We're not do- doing that again. That's not how we roll around here. Then you got to you gotta play by the rules. Um, were there issues with him in Cleveland over the last seven years? Absolutely. Uh, did he Was he a huge part of that team? A thousand percent. I mean, he battled all the time. And people want to talk about the drone incident or throwing the ball, you know, out of Kauffman stadium and, you know, the, the Twitter beefs that he's been a part of, that's all part of his narrative. There's no question about it. But if you're going to talk about Trevor Bauer, talk about him being out there every five days, busting his ass, teaching guys when they wanted to be taught all that sort of stuff. So he said it yet, you know, yesterday when he left Cleveland, there's good and there's bad and there's in between with me. And I'm okay with that. You know, and I, I think about the bombshell because, you know, the A's feeling pretty good. And we'll ask you about what the A's did with Tanner Roark there uh, right before the deadline. But it was after 1 o'clock when the bombshell just came down. Oh, my God, Zach Greinke's going to the Houston Astros. And now the A's are going to have to deal with Verlander. They're going to have to deal with Cole. They're going to have to deal with Grinky. What were your thoughts when you first heard about Grinky leaving Arizona and going to Houston? I, I, I was excited for the Astros. I mean, it's terrible if you're a fan of any contender in the American League, certainly. But, you know, for the most part, the trade deadline sucked. It just did. You know, it, it came with all this hope, and I actually thought there were going to be some huge deals in the month of June. None of those came to fruition. Um, so I understand why it's happening. Ken Rosenthal, my my good friend and colleague at MLB Network and our supreme writer on The Athletic, kind of laid it out as to these guys all think alike, and they're scared of their own shadow when it comes to having to pull the trigger, and they're scared of giving up prospects and all that stuff. Listen, guys, if you trust yourself and the people that you've hired and the people you have in place for scouting departments and your draft, 
you should be able to replace those guys. And I get it. It's great to have cheap labor. But, man, if you can go out and get a difference maker, like why didn't the Yankees go get Trevor Bauer? I don't get that. What, wouldn't he have fit perfectly with them? No? No, I – you, you think of two of the best pitchers, Stroman and Bauer, went to teams that are not contending this year. They're looking at next year. And I actually I started, I started talking about this on Monday and, and see what you think. We're in a game now where we have a lot of smart people, but these people, they're numbers people, they're analytics, they're data-driven. And what do we know about people in business who are into numbers and data-driven? They're very conservative people. They let the numbers give them the answers. They're not risk-takers. People who are risk-takers don't get into numbers like this. The Gordon Geckos of the world, I always like throwing that example out, that's a risk-taker. These type of people that we're dealing with in baseball now, they're numbers people, and their numbers people are conservative by nature. And I think that's where we are in free agency, and I think that's where we are also at the trading deadline. What, what do you think about that theory? I think the theory is dead on. That's, that's really basically the premise of Ken's column today. And I think it stinks if you're a fan. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you know, I went back just for fun, and I, you can't compare the NBA um, financial landscape to, to baseball. You just can't. But just for fun, I went back and looked at the rosters of the 2017 All-Star Game. So it's not that long ago. It's three years ago, okay? The starters, I think if out of the 10 starters, seven of them, I think, are on new teams. The only one from the East is Giannis at State Put. The only two from the West, I believe, are Harden and Steph Curry. And some of the guys, like Kyrie's on his second team since lacing it up for Cleveland in that All-Star game. Jimmy Butler's had three teams. It's just, my point is, is that it's kind of fun for us as fans when players keep moving around a little bit, right? It gives us hope. If our team stinks one year, we have a feeling that maybe next year we'll get it. Maybe we'll be, go make a play for a big guy. Maybe we'll make a trade. Maybe we'll wow them in free agency or something. I think we're missing that. I don't have the answer as to how, how we could change that. But I do think it starts with the mentality of the leaders and the decision makers. I really believe it. Jeff Lunau came out with a great quote today for the Houston Astros. He said, listen, I didn't want to go into the offseason saying, boy, I left that stone unturned. I want to give these guys a chance, and I'm not sure – the presidents and GMs of every contending team could say the same thing. Well, I think you look at the Dodgers with bullpen. I think you look at the Yankees with starting pitching. I want to ask you about the Braves. They got better with what they did with the three arms they're bringing into their bullpen. Do you think they did enough to overtake, possibly overtake the Dodgers in the National League? Well, I mean, can they win a series? Can they win a series? seven-game series against them? Yeah, they can. I mean, their offense is awesome. It's really, really good and deep. And, you know, don't sleep on the little bit of experience a lot of those guys got last year. It was only four games in their series loss to the Dodgers, but at least they tasted it for most of those young guys, their core moving forward. The one thing possibly I would have thought about doing was maybe getting a guy like the Phillies got in Jason Vargas, a guy who can eat, eat some innings, um, because some of these younger guys they're going to rely on 
come August and September, if you need to skip a start or two to keep them fresh for a deep October run, you might need that. And they're starting pitching. In some cases, it's been a little banged up. In other cases, it just hasn't been as consistent. So maybe they could have played for a back-end starter, but I really I really liked what Alex Anthopoulos did. Before we let you go, we know you work for the NFL Network. I also work for the Raiders, as I do the sidelines for the Raiders Radio Network with Brent Musburger and Lincoln Kennedy, and we're fired up about this season. Are, are, are you getting excited for, for Hard Knocks, which is, I believe, going to start HBO on August 6th, John Gruden and the Raiders on Hard, hard Knocks? Yeah, I mean, why not? I, I've always loved the series. Uh, you know, my team with the Browns, they were the stars last year, and Usually what happens is um, because a wall is broken down between the fans and a team they might not be familiar with, outside of their own rooting interests, the fans become interested in the hard knocks team, right? Like everybody started to kind of fall in love with the Browns. They started winning games last year. Baker took over and gave them a jolt of energy. You know, with the Raiders, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I can't wait to see – AB flying in on a balloon and maybe it'd be great if Vontez perfect was the guy that picked him up at the, you know, just say hi. Um, so yeah, this, I think it's going to be well done. They do a great job on that show. Now are the Raiders a playoff team? I know that Lewis Riddick, a guy that I really am a fan of and, and enjoy watching and listening to is big on the Raiders. You know, I think there's two, two of the five best teams in football in that division. So I just, I don't seem to making a monumental leap, but I could be wrong. You know, my producer just reminded me, I didn't ask you about the A's and just, just quickly, uh, Roark coming to the A's, Deekman, yep. also Homer Bailey. How, how do you think Billy Bean and David Force did before the deadline? I thought they were typical A's moves, you know, guys that'll, I mean, Roark is a, is a grinder. You know, he didn't have a good year in Cincinnati. Uh, that's a tough ballpark to pitch in, though. So perhaps going to spacious, the spacious Coliseum will help him out. Uh, but he's a he's a battler. He's a funny guy. He's a great teammate. He's a great fit. Uh, Deekman has gotten better over the last month. Uh, Homer Bailey, I thought, did a decent job in in Kansas City here. So I thought they were all good moves um, based on how the A's, you know strategize out there i thought i thought it was good and i think they're going to have a, a real legit shot at that wild card yeah we always appreciate the time intentional talks great and i love how they're going back 10 years and they actually showed millar his very first appearance ever on the show and what he looked like then and what he is now pretty hilarious well we both we both look a little different uh he's less blonde and there's more of me so there you go. That's how we roll. Hey, a lot of respect. Love the show. We'll be watching you on the MLB Network, and we'll be watching you on the NFL Network as football's coming around. Thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. Appreciate it as always. Chris Rose from Intentional Talk, one of the shows you need to watch every single day on MLB Network. There's a word that keeps going around about Tanner Roark. There's a word. What is that word? We're going to tell you what it is next, right? Well, we're going to tell you next. We've got to tell you about Plank. We're here at Plank. Is it 530 yet? It's past 530. So the 545. Pa- the party has started. Are there tickets still available? Uh, efforting. I would come down. I think there's tickets still available. 
We're at Plank, going to have bowling, going to have bocce ball, going to have air hockey, got all the video games. A's players are here. You can bowl with A's players. It's $50. It's unlimited drinks and food. Why not? You kidding me? Come hang out on a Thursday with us. We're going to be here. We might be here all night. Uh, probably, and uh, we have our biggest fan just walked by. Scott Emerson, the ace pitching coaches. He's why he's he just got, keeps circling the, the set. He, I think he wants to come on. Who who wants to come on more on a frequent <laughs> basis, Ray Fossey or Scott Emerson? Well, I you know what I think it's I think it's emo by far. I really, mean, Fossey show he does an impromptu appearance, kind of like Trevor Bauer in the in the Indians uh, cl- uh, press room. But Foss is only doing home games. It's fun. It's it. Fossey will just look over, and you know he's coming over, and he wants to be on. You know it. Well, I liked yesterday when he was walking down. He's like, "All right, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to take him more your time, Gio. You got to go on that one." Like Fossey, you could have just, talk, you could just come on and interview him with Townie. <laughs> All right, what is the word everybody keeps using about Roark? We're going to find out next, right here on A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. Oh, man. Joey put a picture up that's terrible. I was trying to do the Captain Morgan pose, and he didn't show the right picture. That's why you can't have kids working around you. I put one up on my own personal Twitter of, t- of you saying, tagging you and Korak, saying nothing like Korak and uh, Townley talking about technology none of us ever heard of. But then it has a rotary phone uh, picture. Wow. Wow, you're so, you're so, oh, <laughs> You're throwing Ken under the bus is what you're saying. So you're saying you don't find Ken interesting is what you're saying. No, I, I, that actually hit home with me. As someone that had my parents still use a rotary phone and I didn't have the Internet until I was 18 years old, I know what old technology's like. You feel our pain? Yeah. I, I, I'm not really a millennial. I feel like I'm more. Uh, no, you are. I'm a, a baby boomer. No, you're, you're a millennial. Uh, grinder. Grinder is the word. Everybody has called him a grinder. Everybody said a lot of different things, but. Grinder has been said by multiple people. Matt Williams called Tanner Rourke a grinder. Gio Gonzalez called him a grinder. Blake Trinan called him a grinder. And Sonny Gray called him a grinder. Now, does that mean he's going to get outs? I don't know. But I can tell you, I'm glad that I don't have to sit here. And Richard Justice from MLB.com Long-time MLB writer is going to join us coming up here at the top of the hour. I am really happy that we're not going to be sitting here waiting for hurt guys. That the front office was proactive and went out and got people that can pitch and they can pitch now. Because how long were we sitting there and we were, well, when Jesus Lazardo, hey, when A.J. Puck, hey, when Shamanaya, hey, when Jarrell Cott, we don't have to worry about that. Now, unless something happens, knock on wood, let me knock on wood here, unless something happens, those guys will now all just be a luxury for the A's. If Shamaniah comes out, and it's not like Shamaniah has been lighting up the radar gun. He has not been. Would Can't wait to have Sean back. But right now, the five that you have... If Shamanai is throwing 88 to 90, and it's very tough to judge anything when you're talking about, oh, there's Bip Roberts. It's a party now. I didn't know you were going to be here. Well, that's the gra- That's an all-star right there. 
My, one of my favorites all time, Bip Roberts. Bip's a good guy. Been doing TV and radio with Bip for years. Really good man. Terrific player. Oakland's own. Was an all-star with the Cincinnati Reds. Had some great years with the Padres. But the, the, I, I can't see Sean Manaya right now. Who would you take out of the rotation? I'm looking at Mike Fires right now. I'm not taking Mike Fires out of the rotation. I'm not taking Brett Anderson out of the rotation. I'm not taking Homer Bailey out of the rotation. Tanner Roark, who we just traded for, not taking him out of the rotation. And a guy that just came by during the break and said hello to us. Somebody that I've really liked. I've really liked the arm, and now it's finally all coming together. Chris Bassett. I'm not taking Chris Bassett out of the rotation right now. So as much as everybody has clamored for all these guys that are not here, what you have right now is your starting five. I'm not changing it. And and let's be honest, the numbers show the issue has not been the rotation. The rotation has been one of the better ones in all of baseball this year. They're, they're, they're top five in a lot of different categories, including wins and ERA. Now, this team is having a very good season, but if you look at anything that has been the issue, the issue has been the bullpen. If you didn't have all these blown saves, the record would look far different, no question about it. But not on the rotation. So the rotation right now is solidified. Going forward for the next two months and bringing in Tanner and seeing what he's going to do as an innings eater, another innings eater, can only help this bullpen. And David laughed at it. David Force, we had the David Force show on earlier. He laughed at it, and I laughed because it's a cliche. You know, be, oh, when we get this guy back, it's like it's 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 like having a trade. You know, when a guy's been out, he hasn't been healthy. It's like it's like adding a trade. No, not exactly, because a trade, as Jake Diekman told us yesterday on the field, you know, you have these guys that are coming from another team. And when they show up, there's a certain energy that happens inside your clubhouse. And with the A's, that energy, that shot in the arm, has come not once, not twice, but three different times now. Three new guys are coming into the clubhouse. When a guy comes back, let's say someone like a Stephen Piscotty, it's great to have him back. It's great to have your teammate But it isn't that shot in the arm where you as a team, you know that the front office has said, we believe in you, and we're going to go out and get people to help you. Getting guys back hurt from being injured, that's not the same kind of shot in the arm. Yes, it helps, no question about it. But when the front office goes out and makes the trades, that's the big shot in the arm. So the A's are getting both of that. They're giving Steven Piscotty back. They've got the three guys coming in. The only Debbie Downer part is the fact that we have no idea when Ramon Laureano is going to be back. And the only thing that he can do right now is rest. Because you heard David, you've heard from Ramon, you've heard from Bob Melvin, a stress reaction, if it gets worse, it's a stress fracture. And you go to stress fracture... And he's done for the season. That really is scary. 
and that would be that that is that is worst case scenario. Liam Hendricks, everybody, has arrived, the all-star. You know the cool thing is we Liam Hendricks has become a friend of the program, wouldn't you say? He's almost like Foss in Emerson. He just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah, if we rated the people that have shown up the most on the program so far, by far by it's Liam. Liam's been on this show since we started how many times? Uh, I think four or five? Like four now, I think. I, it may even be five. Uh, yeah, well. Because there was a brief one where he just showed up. That was the other day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Liam, Liam's been on like five times. And only once have we booked him. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's the great part about it is he just likes coming on the program. Ray Fossey, we haven't. I think we've booked him once. How many times has he been on? He just shows up, and we give him a headset. He's the face of the franchise. Scott Emerson has been booked how many times? Uh, twice. I think one time was an impromptu Trevor Bauer appearance. Yes. And there was the one about the, the balls being juiced. Yeah. We're still efforting for him because Scott Emerson believes not only the balls are juiced, he believes the bats are juiced. What he means by that with the wood, the stain that they put on the wood, and he and he makes a pretty good case because we've now seen it a couple times. Re- Ever since he said this, I'm really paying attention to it. When you watch how bats break, how the barrel of the bat, it's it's breaking, you know, more than halfway down, more towards the handle, and it's like a spear the way it breaks now. You know, bats used to break, and the and it was very rare that the handle and the barrel would separate from each other. We saw it with Marcus Simeon where the thing was rolling at shortstop like a spear and almost hit him in the head. And that's where I think the bats are so – the stain on the bats are making them harder, and it's harder to break. So when they do break, they become like weapons as they go out onto the field. One guy we're forgetting too, uh, Matt Chapman's quietly coming in front of the program. He's been on like two or three times now too. Well, every time he's booked, he just doesn't just walk over. No, he, he – He's a guy, I mean, he's – I would He's s- got people that we have to go through. I, I would say uh, Matt Chap. I, I would put my money. Will Matt Chapman ever walk over on his own and pick up a headset? I would bet no. I'm, I'm trying to get there with Lou Trevino. We have that college rivalry going where Lou, I, was, I want Lou to just start coming over. And- Lou could be someone who would just pick up a uh, just pick up a headset. Certain guys, certain guys are down. Certain guys are big time media guys. They like being on. Other guys, they avoid it like the play. Hey, to each his own. I mean, that, that's in every single clubhouse, locker room. There's some guys who are just chatty Cathy's, and there's other guys who just they view it as painful to do. Painful. Richard Justice has been covering this game for a long time. He writes for MLB.com. You see him on the MLB Network. But he's based in Houston. He used to cover the Astros for the Houston Chronicle. We're going to hear from him. Are you calling him right now? Calling him right now. All right. No break. No break. Executive oh, decision. Just keep talking. Yeah. Once again, just shake it. Just keep keep shaking it. Keep dancing. Do we have Richard Justice? He's there. Richard Justice, Chris Townsend. Oh, he, oh. he hung up. Okay. Well, then now we are going. When we come back, Richard Justice will join us right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete on. 
He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, we are efforting Richard Justice to talk about the trade the trade deadline. Winners and losers. Does anybody really read the grades? Now everybody's got everybody's got a grade out. I'm giving the Yankees an F, and I'm giving the Astros an, an A. Does everybody have to do that? And you pre, you pretty much know who really helped themselves and who didn't. And there are some teams that really didn't help themselves, and will it cost them? I wonder. Was it just tough to do this for the first time? Because you're so used to always having the the waiver wire process to be able to rescue you. They're so used to it. This time, the hard deadline. Richard Justice, one of the most accomplished baseball writers we have in the game from MLB.com, joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, Thank you for having me, Chris. Well, I, I think about your neck of the woods. You know, we were we were excited here in Oakland getting Tanner Roark and, and you know, Deekman the left-hander and, and Homer Bailey and not much had really happened yet for the Astros. And then, it, then of course, it was after 1 o'clock here Pacific time, 4 o'clock uh, Eastern, where the bomb dropped. Zach Grinke, what is it like in Houston right now? The biggest pickup in the trade market is going to Houston. Yeah, you know, these last three years, uh, they're probably going to win 100 games for the third year in a row. It's been just a kind of a, a fantasy come true for this team that always watched other people do all these great things and make all these great trades. This trade was interesting because it got Jeff Luno way, way out of his comfort zone. You know, what you saw on the trade deadline was you saw the Yankees hold tight, the Dodgers, the Red Sox. And in the case of the Yankees and Dodgers, they had enough pieces to make pretty much any trade they wanted, but they're, you know, they just were not willing to pay the price. In this case, Jeff Luno, who had made sustainability his mantra, he traded his three, four, and five prospects plus another guy to uh, to get Zach Greinke. And I think the way he looks at it is, look, we've got one of the great pitching rotations you're going to see in a lot in in in, in history, and we're only going to have Garrett Cole for three more months, most likely. Uh, let's go for it. You know, the window's not going to – you're not going to have an opportunity like this every year. Yeah, I absolutely applaud him. I was I started talking about this on Monday, and, and I've been asking everybody what they think. We have so many new people in the game, and we have so many people in these front offices that are numbers people and they're data people and analytics. And as we know, people that are into numbers and, and, and data – are, are more conservative people. They're not riverboat gamblers. They think all the answers are in the numbers. They're not risk takers. And I think where we are right now in the game, we have so many people who are conservative numbers people. That's why we're not seeing a lot of risk at the training deadline. We're not seeing a lot of risk in free agency like you used to see with the guy that, remember Jack McKean? We used to call him Trader Jack. It's like a completely different world. <laughs> I do remember that, but Look, there's no more progressive or data-driven team than the Astros. Um, I think they just in, – in, at the trade deadline two years ago, Jeff just could not get comfortable with the price and the money. 
that it would take to acquire Justin Verlander. Then, lo and behold, they had a very bad August, 15 and 16 in August. And um, he just put all his cards on the table. We've seen Billy Bean do it, you know, a couple of times in Oakland. And uh, this time he just wanted to go for it. And, you know, it's one of those things that you can look back. I mean, they traded top three guys that they traded to the Diamondbacks. If you're Arizona, you got out from under for you got out from under most of Zachary's contract, and you got three guys that are going. You feel like may have a chance to be foundational pieces for a long time. Um, that's a big price to pay. But if we end up having a second parade in three years in Houston, you know, and people end up telling players, you know, my kid thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, and it's one of those things. If my grandfather had been here to see it, all those things that come with winning a championship then it will be worthwhile. You know, you, you, you win today and you're worried about tomorrow, tomorrow. And I think one of the things that the Houston Astros do so well is how they can look at other teams and look at other players and they can say, mm-hmm. how can we make this guy even better? They did it with Verlander. They did it with Cole. I'm just trying to figure out, Richard, how do you make Zach Grinke better? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, the, the big project is Aaron Sanchez. Uh, lost amid everything if they got Aaron Sanchez from the um, from the Blue Jays, and he's three years, four years removed from winning an ERA title, still only 27 years old. They're going to try to work their magic on him. When uh, rumors surfaced two two winters ago that the Astros were going to get Garrett Cole, the first thing Charlie Morton did was call him up and say, hey, man, you're going to love it here. And it's just pitch usage. I mean, we've seen Oakland do it with Blake Trinan and Lou Trevino. They help Mike Fires and Brett Anderson get better. And as I look at the A's, I say, okay, they're going to work some of their magic on on uh, Ken Roark, on the uh, on uh, Homer Bailey, and uh, you know we'll we'll see. It's uh, the game has changed so much in the last five years, and this is a byproduct of putting the smart guys in charge. And um, it's 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 an interesting. And what David Cerns of the Brewers will tell you is, we still are on the tip of the iceberg of the information age. And there's a challenge is how do you communicate it to the players? How do you best utilize it? There was a moment in spring training with the Astros where uh, they had a young pitcher named Brady Rogers. He was up on a mound with like 10 cameras pointed at him as they're studying his mechanics and all this stuff. George Springer walks out of the clubhouse, looks over and sees this guy with all these cameras on him and goes, don't let them do it. They're trying to clone you. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy to think where this game's going to be. It just in five years and ten years, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Going to the Oakland A's side, and I can tell you, we just had our old friend Gio Gonzalez on this program. Uh, Sonny Gray has called Bob Melvin about Tanner Roark. Matt Williams is who's with us, managed him. Blake Trinan played with him in Washington. We just keep hearing tough guy, grinders, a uh, grinder, innings eater. What kind of pitcher are the A's getting from Cincinnati? Oh, I mean, look, I think he's a transformative guy for their rotation because Fires has been good, Anderson's been good, Bass has been pretty good, uh, Mingman's, you know, been a guy that I know really well. He's been he's been good. It just adds depth to your team. He's a quality arm. He's a quality person. I just wish he hadn't said he got the trade news in Arby's because I've been to Arby's twice since I read that and. Uh, that's not not the best habit to get into, but it fits in. You know, one thing I've always thought about the A's, I've talked about this with Jed Lowry and some other guys a lot of them. Guys who play for the A's, and some of it's Bob Melvin, I'm sure. 
is uh, there's a there's a camaraderie and a closeness in that clubhouse, and I'm not sure you get any place else. Guys who wear the A's uniform love wearing it, and I think Tanner's going to feel that immediately. This clubhouse, it, it, there, there's something about it. I mean, being around it for so long, and you look, you know, different managers, different coaches, different players, but there's always just a fun-loving. Uh, even if they're good or bad, it's a fun-loving clubhouse. Everybody respects each other, and, and you see so many players get into this loose environment, and, and they're very successful. And, and I start looking around at the other teams who didn't make the deals. I can't even imagine. Let's just say that the, the Dodgers – somehow blow it in the postseason, and it's because of their bullpen. I mean, how much are they going to be kicking themselves if they don't get it done in the postseason and they didn't get somebody at the trading deadline for the back of the bullpen? Well, that was what's the other chapter of this trade deadline was the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Dodgers that had things, had definite needs, had things they wanted to do, and they didn't do it. In the case of the Yankees and Dodgers, they had a deep enough farm system. At the end of the day, Andrew Friedman stared down the barrel of giving away his top prospect, Gavin Lux, and he wouldn't do it. So what's he going to do? He's going to bring up his top pitching prospect, Dustin May, and he's going to let Urias pitch out there, Ross Stripling, and hope that Kenley Jansen gets back to where he's been for most of his career. It's a, is it a gamble? It's absolutely a big gamble. But I heard Brian Cashman say, when I look at what we have, what we may have coming back from the injured list, I could, I just couldn't justify decimating the farm system to the point that I didn't know how much the upgrade would be. So it's a it's a it's a gamble on all those and you know and they know I mean <laughs> Brian Cashman knows better than anybody you're held accountable and so will Andrew but those guys have a pretty good track record and I would not bet against them. Other than the Astros. Who bettered themselves the most? Oh, Atlanta. Atlanta transformed their team. I mean, they took a weakness and turned it into a strength. They got a lights-out closer in Shane Green, and they they had really struggled in that area. They got a lights-out eighth-inning guy in Chris Martin for the Rangers, and they got Mark Melanson, who has had a good last five, four or five weeks uh, for the Giants. So they got three arms, including two guys, and to pitch the eighth and ninth inning that are going to change their team. And you'll say, well, they should have done something for the rotation. You can't fix everything. And while Washington added three arms, to, uh, to, you know, to, to their bullpen and got better, they added three arms. Um, what, what Atlanta did was add two pretty special guys for the eighth and ninth inning. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I love what they did. And you mentioned Melanson going from the Giants over to Atlanta. And I just wonder – and I, I said this, I, I could be wrong, but I kind of see long-term, it might be Madison Bumgarner's a big loser here because Madison Bumgarner, at the end of the year, if they throw the qualifying offer on him, and we looked what happened with Keiko last year, and we know that Madison Bumgarner, his fastball's down a tick a little bit. If he gets that qualifying offer put on him, how do you think that will affect his post, uh, his uh, free agency? Will it affect him like it did Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell? Well, I would say this, and I think this is a lesson learned last year. When you get those November offers, you better look at them seriously because the whole economics of the game have changed. Teams have realized that your peak performance, your on average is age 27. Unfortunately, the compensation system is set up to pay you after your 28th, 29th birthday. 
what the owners and players, and they're already talking, what they have to do is to get back to paying players for those first five or six years. And I don't know if that means starting the, the clock toward arbitration or free agency when you're drafted. All There has got to be a sea change because the way players are, are looked at are, are different. You know, if you're age 31, 32, you're not going to get paid. Farhan Zaidi put it best. He goes, for 100 years, or no, since 1975, in free agency, you would be paid for what you had done. What we do now is pay you for what we project you to do. And if you're 29 years old, we project that there's going to be a decline in your production. Not all, It's not always true, but in generally, the numbers hold up. All right, let's end on this. As soon as the deal for Grinky happened, down in Vegas, Caesars Palace, they made the Dodgers and the Astros the front runner. With what you know now, if you had to buy one team, right, and we still got two months to go, there could be injuries, there could be a, if you had to buy one team and you had to buy one kind of a long shot, who would those two be? Uh, the, the long shot team to me, and I'm not sure it's a long shot, would be the Washington Nationals. I mean, I think they're really good. I think they improved their bullpen. And the long, long, long shot that bears watching the New York Mets. I mean, I, I want to see it. They're up to a 25% chance of making the playoffs on Fangraphs. But as you know, the the postseason is its own separate ecosystem. In fact, almost each game is its own separate little world. Astros won the World Series two years ago. If Bregman doesn't homer all sale in game four, they're headed to a deciding game five. They had to win two elimination games at home against the Yankees to get to the World Series. And then Marwin Gonzalez hits an 0-2 Kenley Jansen fastball over the wall in the bottom of the ninth inning of game two. Uh, or they don't win the World Series. It's it was you know it's it's a coin flip on a lot of these things. It's going to be a fun final two months, Richard. Thank you so much for coming on. We always love having you. Thanks for having me, Richard Justice, MLB.com. Can you imagine what it's like in Houston right now? Can you just imagine the excitement that they must have? They're about to win a hundred games for the third straight year. They lost. 100 games three straight years and unfortunately they might really be the model even though other teams the chicago cubs they went bad they rebuilt they won but if they're able to win two out of three world series you could look at the astros model and say this is how you're going to do it long term You've got to hit. They didn't hit on all their number one picks, like Jeff Blum told us. I was texting with Blummer, by the way. He's a uh, stand-up guy. I, I know one of those. I know one of those picks, uh, Mark Appel from Stanford. Yeah, did not work out. But when you really look at it, if you go and, and you know what, that's something. And, and we got to get into this article, the Ken Rosenthal article. You know why you should listen to this show? And this is I'm not. I'm not. This this is not bragging. Okay, here comes the me guy. This the me guy. A, this there was a big article written about him. Big me guy now. Hey, I, 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 I told, I said your name. They just didn't put it in there. It was on the chopping block. It's okay. I, mean, it's... I said Commander. Co- I, I think the first thing when they said, when, when Berman interviewed me for the Athletic, and he said, you know, when you first thought about A's Cast Live and starting this show, what was the first thing you thought? I said Commander Cody. It just. That, it, that, that it, means a lot to me. It didn't make it, – it It got cut. I'm sorry. Not everything makes the article. Uh, I'm glad I got picked over Joey and Pearl, so I'm very happy about that. I'm lying. Um, 
But seriously, and this is why we want you to listen, because we do believe we are bringing you the, oh, look at Ruby's going out. Ruby's got Ruby Lopez is here, and she's announcing tonight and getting everybody fired up here as we're at Plank and we're getting ready to start bowling. But seriously, why I want you to listen to the show, I want you to trust what we're going to be doing. We're going to give you, we're not giving you your same weak sports talk where you're just trying to drive calls. We don't take calls. We're just trying to provide you quality content on a daily basis. And one thing that we've been doing, I think we've been doing as well as anybody, is covering this game. And you know what? We're going to get back to this because I, I started this on Monday. Ken Rosenthal's article that everybody now is referencing just came out today. We were ahead of the curve. I should say curve. Curve, yes. Not curb. I like curb your enthusiasm. We were ahead of the curve. We're actually going to pat ourselves on the back, and you know what? Why not? We should. We're a brand-new entity. We're trying to prove ourselves. We'll do it next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, we're announcing the players as we speak as they're getting ready to go out and bowl. Looking at Chris Bassett, looking at Mike Fires. there's Daniel Gossett, there's the all-star Liam Hendricks, Chris Herman's in front of us, Jerks and Profar, Lou Trevino. As they're going to be bowling here and going to have a lot of fun here at Plank. So the thing we were talking about is, is Ken Rosenthal, the athletic, put this article out. And I'm going to read some of it to you. And it starts out like this. A scout put it well last week, saying the trading deadline is just like the game on the field. Everyone is sitting around and waiting for a three-run home run. Defensive shifts to platoon-based lineups to third time through the order, removals of starting pitchers, it's all about playing the odds. Think about that. It's playing the odds. What do the numbers say? Not what your gut is. Play the odds. Play the numbers. The game on the field with risk-adverse, value-obsessed clubs all using the same analytically-driven playbooks in free agency and trades also is becoming a little more of a math equation. So basically, I've gone through this article and just highlighted the things that I think are really important. The sport suffers from an overriding lack of urgency. The deadline needs to be a... The deadline, I like this, the deadline needs to be as juiced as the baseball. Instead, too many teams place inordinate infinite emphasis on future and blathering on about discipline and process. Why should a GM play for today when he can delay the evolution of his performance until some distant tomorrow? Think about that. I'm prolonging my job life by always saying it's about tomorrow. By never saying I have to win now, I'm always pushing it to tomorrow. It goes on to say, still many of today's GMs are procrastinators, not deal makers. They overanalyze, seek 100th, 100th percentile overcomes in every transaction. Fear their team getting, now this is incredible. 
Fear Their Team getting ranked number 30 in Baseball America's organization rankings more than they fear last place. Oh, my God. How unbelievable. I mean, you're putting this in print, saying that there's general managers out there in front offices who fear more of having somebody, a publication, whether it's MLB.com, Baseball America, Baseball whoever, Fangraphs, ranking your organization, meaning your minor leagues, low than finishing in last place. Because you always, you can always try and sell what you have in the minors. And that's why yours truly has always said prospects are suspects until they come out, until they come up. You can beat me over the head how good minor league guys are. I don't care until they come up here and win games. I think the one thing in there, too, that I don't know if you saw it or not, what they said about Blue Jays, man, Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins and Willie summed up the approach of New Age front offices in a conference call with reporters proclaiming that his team's series of trades had turned 14 years of control into 42 years of control. So pretty much I, I, I'm going to trade guys away now so I can have them for 42 years of control. And we saw that we saw them do that with Marcus Stroman, where they traded him away and they got back prospects who, you know, everyone's saying the Mets uh, didn't win that deal, but uh, maybe the Mets did. Well, the Mets have all, all of a sudden won seven in a row, and they're feeling it. But this goes back to what I said on Monday, and I've been hammering this. It's these guys and Ken Rosen, and obviously Ken Rosenthal has far more juice than I'll ever have in respect in this game. But I've been saying this since Monday. We don't have deal makers. We have numbers people. Numbers people use the numbers to get their answers. Numbers people do not take risks. That's why it's all in the numbers. And since you have so many of these guys who are the same, that's why we're having crappy free agency. That's why we're having. And, you know, I don't necessarily, Cody, want to say it was, you know, the trading deadline ended up being pretty historic from the standpoint of there was 30 deadline day trades that's the highest ever on the final day of the deadline the previous high ever was 18 now i think you could also look at it another way and say that mark is overrated why is that mark overrated i'm gonna tell you next right here on a's cast live Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is over Oakland, I listen to A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Oh, the bowling's going off now here, Plank. It's 6.32, and they still have not brought us over a beer. Some of these people, this is, this is not Plank's fault, it's A's fault. It's unbelievable. Where's the food, Commander Cody? I'm, I'm starving. I'm absolutely starving. I don't I have as much control here as you do. I'm just, you know, I got I to gotta wear eight hats right now. I'm like you. I got I to gotta engineer, produce. I can't leave. I got to man this in case something happens. It's millennial technology. It can go down at any time. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you can't rely on millennial technology. We need to get that, that rotary phone that you took apart and, and, and did all that. And yeah, that worked back. every time. <laughs> we, need to, we might need to go back to that. It worked every single time. 
Well, I, I, you know, this whole thing about the the trading deadline and the historic 30 trades at the end, it's because there was no waiver process. July 31st was a hard deadline. This was it. So you had, you had to get it done. The guys you wanted, you had to get it done today. And so that's why, because, like, great example is a guy that I'm watching bowl right now, Mike Fires. The A's danced around with Detroit last year for Fires, and they couldn't get something done, and then they were able to get something done after July 31st. So that would be the, the, the main reason why we do see a ton of trades happening right before the deadline. But 77 players were traded in 30 total deals that became official on the trading deadline day at 1 o'clock our time. 43 players swapped in 16 moves July 31st, 2018. And really, the only thing that floats my boat, Stompers now here, the only thing that floats my boat, I mean, I like I like what the A's did. There's no doubt about it. But I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that the, Tanner Roark is, is, is not, Roark is not going to be like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I mean, really, it was, it was the Braves and it was the Houston Astros. Those were the two deals that, that really got me. All right, I, I know you've been itching to play this. So if, if you didn't hear, Trevor Bauer did an impromptu press conference. He came to the ballpark. I don't know if he bought a ticket. Do you know the actual? I just know that he was in the stands, he had a plain white T-shirt on in his backpack. It looked like just when I saw him at the All-Star game last year, parading around D.C. with his girlfriend. Okay, well, here's the deal. If he had it in the press lounge, there's no way. I mean, obviously, they all know who he is. But to get into the stadium, it's not like he's going through the play. Well, he is a player. Even though he's not their player, he still has the Major League Baseball play. However, whatever it is, he got into the stadium and did an impromptu press conference with the Cleveland media I have not heard this. This is completely on Cody. Cody says this is absolutely fabulous. So um, if this fails and bombs, this is completely on you. Are you willing to take that responsibility? Of course I am. But the, this, the, the whole story behind this is so great because the guy just went up and started. They had, like, every news outlet there just talking to him. Like, it wasn't scheduled. To, he's just there. Stomper. Nobody better than you, Stomper. Nobody better. Stompers the goods. All right, here. It's just crazy. We have never seen this before. I don't believe. Player gets traded. Player doesn't leave town yet. Player shows up to the game. Was it the next day? Yeah, it was the next day. Oh, by the way, Puig's playing for the Indians tonight. Before he gets suspended. Yeah. Okay. So, Oh, yeah, you know Puig was Puig's not waiting 72 hours. Puig wants to get into the action. All right, so here we go. Here's Trevor Bauer with the media. A lot of stuff goes through your head. Um, and the way I process things, I just immediately started like, okay, well, who's in the deal? Like, does it make sense? Like, kind of thinking about that. And then uh, I had heard that it was, you know, pretty close during the game. Um, so I obviously didn't really want to, like, go start talking to any of my teammates because we were trying to win a game. Um, but then when the game ended, it was... You know, kind of connected with 
couple of my close buddies first and let them know that it was pretty close and then um, obviously you know progress from there so um, guys that have been you know, close friends of mine for I guess I came over in 13 so six years now five five to six years now and I've thrown to Birdo for a long time like it's just kind of different you know I'm not going to be teammates with him. I've literally been teammates with him every single year that I've been here in Cleveland. Um, so, yeah, there's strong, you know, strong bonds that I formed with McClive and Bieber and Goody and everybody, really. I, I don't want to not include someone, but I'd be here forever naming, naming everyone. But it's kind of, you know, it's kind of hot, sad, you know, saying bye to people, but part of the industry, part of the job. And, um, yeah, time for a new chapter. Now you're going to a different league, of course. So what's that challenge going to be like when you probably don't know those hitters as well as the ones you faced here? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what that balance is going to be. You know, they haven't faced me very much. I haven't faced them very much. So I'm sure there'll be um, certain guys that immediately see me well and do well against me, and certain guys that I you know fare well against. And um, it'll be it'll be an interesting challenge. Uh, I'm excited for that part of it. Um, because it's something new and something that will challenge me intellectually and trying to figure the hitters out and read swings and, and whatnot. Um, looking forward to connecting with Sonny and, and DJ. Um, actually, I wanted to play for DJ at Vanderbilt when I was in high school. I, I wanted to go to Vanderbilt pretty bad. And DJ was the pitching coach at Vanderbilt during that time, so I texted him and told him, you know, it's about time our paths cross. <laughs> So we'll see uh, how that all goes, but I'm excited for the challenge. Um, other than hitting, I don't like hitting. I think we all know that. So not too excited about having to step in the box every every game. But um, other than that, you know, excited to you know, see the guys and um, learn the culture and the team and, and kind of you know get going again and, and and try to win. Trevor Tito said yesterday before the trade that he hoped you throwing the ball over the fence wouldn't be your legacy. Here in Cleveland, what do you think your legacy in Cleveland will be? I don't know. I don't think I should speak on my legacy. I hope my legacy will be defined in the minds of the fans and the people I connected with here. And it'll be different for every person uh, based on what they know about me and how well they know me or how little they know me. And um, I think at the end of the day, I am myself uh, to a fault. There good parts and, and bad parts and middle parts about everybody and uh, so at the, what I would like to be known as is just someone who is true to himself and passionate about the game um, tried to help as many people as I could in my time here um, tried to move things forward and make people's lives around me better make the game better um, am I perfect no <laughs> far from it but uh, you know that's that's the same case for everybody. So um, I just I don't know. It'll be it'll be different for everybody. Um, even two people that feel similarly about me will have different lasting memories and favorite times and whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer it any better than that. Hey, Trevor, when you're talking to players, especially Shane Bieber and Clev, they talked about what an influence you've been on them. Would you um, ever think about being a pitching coach or anything that when your when your career is over? Um, maybe I have I have uh, 
aspirations to kind of run a mid-level D1 school and run a development program at some point in my life. Um, I've talked about that for years with buddies of mine and at Driveline and in the player development circles outside of organized baseball right now. Uh, so I can see myself doing that. I consult with a lot of players actually, um, league-wide on mechanical stuff or approaches or whatever already. Um, I anticipate that I'll continue doing that if, if guys have questions and reach out. Um, but hopefully, as I meet more guys in the league and um, more guys trust that you know I have their interests at heart and I'm not going to BS them and stuff like that, I'll be able to offer more information and, and help more people. Um, that's one thing I'm really passionate about is helping more people, or helping as many people as possible and growing the game and moving the game forward. So um, to the extent that I have time and um, people are willing to you know, ask me questions and, and seek out advice, I'm more than willing to offer that to whoever it is. Trevor Tito said today in talking about the trade that he did have concerns that you throwing the ball over the fence could have had some lingering effect in the clubhouse. He didn't wasn't specific, he just said he had concerns about that. Do you believe that if you were still on this team there could have been some lingering effect from that? Uh, well, I'm not on the team. And so that none of that really matters. Believe what you will. And we know, obviously you've apologized. We, we all know that, what you said afterward, that was just something that your former manager put out there. So I didn't know if there's, you'd want to respond to that. No, I don't. Over the last few weeks, hearing the rumors, was it ever difficult to just block that out, or did you allow yourself to think that? Or think no, um, my mindset is to come to the field and prepare myself to be the best pitcher I can be, um, try to help my teammates, try to help the team win, try to contribute any way I can. And that'll be my mindset, regardless of what team I'm on or what clubhouse I'm in. Um, you know, big leagues, minor leagues, um, beer leagues, whatever the case is. That's just, that's what I enjoy. Like, that's what gives me happiness in life, is trying to better myself, better the people around me, help people, and find ways to achieve the highest level of whatever I'm doing at that point. Um, and right now it's baseball. And so it doesn't really affect me. Like, nothing really changes in how I prepare in my day-to-day -day life. Like, the vast majority of my day is structured and organized around being the best athlete, the best pitcher that I can be. Um, spend a couple hours every day tracking data, logging data, collecting data on myself. I spend a large amount of time at the field throwing, doing recovery, lifting, all the different things that go into it. And like I said, it doesn't really matter where, where I am or what team I'm on, I'm going to do the same thing. So day-to-day -day life doesn't much change. Um, relationships obviously change, people change. Um, and that's exciting. You know, I get to meet a bunch of new, meet a bunch of new people, and the friends that I have here, uh, I'll stay in contact with. And um, so that part is all very fluid. All right, I can't take anymore. All right, really, two things just happened there. Two things just happened. Save had a boy, had a boy. We're watching. Bip Roberts, by the way, is awful at bowling. Biff Roberts, the all-star, is not good. So really what happened, Cody, I have not started. I have not started the MVP machine. 
And this is the book that everybody is into right now. It's called The MVP Machine. Cody, you've started reading it. I have. You're infatuated with Trevor Bauer. Uh, I always have been, but yes, this book has made me even more infatuated with Trevor Bauer. So you're infatuated with Trevor Bauer, and so you cut up actually like 15 minutes of this. That's how long his actual press conference went. It was 15 minutes, so I said play some of it. I didn't want to play it that long, but I wanted to go get us a beer. And we have to go in the back where all the players' wives and kids are to get it. And I went back there, and I'm being totally honest with you. I went back there, and the Deschutes IPA was out. Then the other IPA was out. And so we ended up with just this pale ale. So that's why you heard that much of it, because I just couldn't get beers well, to walk out. Well, lucky for you, I wrote a summary, and here's what he had to say. Okay, Pretty give me much. the summary. Let me give you the bullet points. Because um, we need, are we going to do buying or selling or what? Yeah, we'll get to it. Hold on. Uh, pretty much, he doesn't care what Francona thinks about uh, about him throwing the ball. Didn't want to comment on it. Uh, he's excited to be back with the, the Reds pitching coach Derek Johnson, who was at Vanderbilt. And he always wanted to play for Vandy. Um, he doesn't need baseball if he ever retires. He can be. He wants to go manage a mingling, a middling uh, D1 school, or work in player development. Work with the driveline guys. Well, well, here's the thing. He's already made millions. Yeah, he doesn't care. And he's only taking one-year deals because, well, we know why. Are you still buying that? Uh, I think so. We'll see. Um, he's going to miss his Cle- uh, teammates a lot in Cleveland, and he doesn't want to talk about his legacy yet. I also learned that this guy is the most crazy and has the biggest set of, you know, whatever to go in front of, to show up at a team that traded you and then just stand there and do an interview. Uh, uh, when Antonio Brown got traded from the Steelers, do you think that he showed up at the uh, – the Steelers Performance Center and did an interview for 15 minutes. They no. had trouble getting him to show up when he was a Steeler. Exactly. Like no, no guy just goes and does an interview with the, the media. So it, it was, it was, uh, it was. In, the video is great, and it, it just happened like, when I heard about the him being at the game. I was like, All right, what's going to happen? Then everyone's like, there's a 15 minute press conference. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Then I listened to it. And I'm like. All right, I, I buy what he's doing. He and then he put that video out on Twitter, and it was really genuine about it, Cleveland. Well, he put a, he, he put this video out on. If you follow him on Twitter, just go go find him on Twitter. It was a very classy move by him. He he he's a complex guy. There's no doubt about it. And you have to remember, as you're infatuated with him, you're not with him every day. No, no. And you wonder. If a guy like that essentially just wears on you every single day, I mean, that's just, you know, every day you're doing. What did you do with Liam's sunglasses? Uh, I gave him the mark from our our communications team. Uh, his wife's in the back. We got it. All right, can we do buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, well, since we didn't get a chance to get to it today because we don't want to astro out people, I'm going to make an uh, impromptu <laughs> switch here. And I'm going to ask you, Jeff Luna was on us MLB Network uh, radio earlier, and they, when he was talking about the acquisition of Zach Granke, he said that we already have two Hall of Famers on our team. I'm sure he was talking about Justin Verlander and Jose Altuve. But then after they asked him, he goes, you know, we want to go back and look at this, you know, 25 years from now and realize that we could have potentially five to six Hall of Famers on this team. Buying or selling the Astros have five or six Hall of Famers on their current roster. you got to give me a number. Is it five or is it six? It's let's, a big difference. Let's go six. Let's, let's always aim high. I'm selling. 
So you don't think Granky gets in? That is a lot of people, man. Uh, well, you got you got to figure Bregman, him, Springer. Springer? Well, no, I'm, th I'm thinking of the guys that they have that they're looking at as, as Hall okay. of Famers. I, I, okay. Derek Cole. Verlander. Altuve. Altuve. Probably Granky. Why, 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 why? Really a Hall of Famer? You're gonna put him as one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived. I mean, that's what that's what people, Garrett Cole said. He's a Hall of Famer. Who cares what Garrett Cole says? Uh, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. I mean, seriously, a Hall of Famer? Maybe he's Hall of Really Good. But when Luna said that, I was all right. We have well, to. Well, talk then about again, li listen. If Grinky, who's what, 35? Yeah, 35. If he pitches till 40, he gets. The numbers are what they are. He, he gets well over 200 wins because he's not even at 200 wins yet at 35. I think he's like 198 or something like that, so he's closing in on it. Okay, but he's 35. But Okay, so if you say Verlander, you say Altuve, and you say Grinky. The other three, whoever you're going to say they are, Bregman. Springer. Springer. And possibly, I, I, I'm assuming Luna was talking about Garrett Cole. They all got a long way to go. Yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. We, for, we forgot a guy. Correa? No, correct. Well, Correa, but there's another guy. The greatest hitter ever, Jordan Alvarez. Who's going to break the home run record? Josh Reddick? Is Josh Reddick? <laughs> I mean, all right. I'm selling. All right. Odds are in my favor. I'm, I'm going to be like the today's GM. I'm just going with the odds. Okay, so uh, speaking of uh, GMs and prospects and odds, uh, Dodgers' uh, number one pitching prospect, Dustin May, is expected to make his major league debut this weekend for the Dodgers. Now, May is 21 years old. He has a nickname. I'm going to give you his nickname. He has long red hair, and his stuff, they say on the mound, he looks like Thor. His nickname, Ginger Guard. Buying or selling Dust, uh, Dodgers prospect Dustin May's nickname as Ginger Guard. He's named after Syndergaard? Pretty much. He has red hair. And they say he looks like they said he, he he looks like Syndergaard and he pitches like him. So they call him Gingergaard. Buying or selling that nickname. I'm selling the nickname because you're naming me after another current pitcher. That's hey, I don't pick this. This is what this is yeah. what his name is. I, I, I I'm so, do you like that? No, I, I don't even think he's the best I don't even think he's the best redhead on the team. They have Justin Turner. But I don't like the nickname for No, the, the nickname's silly because he's you're getting named after another pitcher. And You're getting. You have a nickname. You haven't made it to the majors yet. And also, well, Captain America, Matt Chapman was Captain America before he ever got here. So I don't know if I have a problem with that. I just, I mean, Syndergaard obviously is good, but it's not like I, I'm getting. It's not like I'm getting named after a Hall of Fame pitcher. I'm getting named after a current pitcher right now. I, I don't. I don't like it. Okay, so here's another one for you. Earlier today, I showed you the video. The White Sox have installed the nets from foul pole to foul pole. And Mets right fielder Jeff McNeil made a catch into the net, rolled in, and rolled back out. Now, we know that this is they're the White Sox are the first team in baseball to install this and do it. Well, if you remember, the, the Brooklyn Nets signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Buying or selling the baseball nets will be more popular than the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> I was sitting there early before we came over here, and I was like, I have to do something it's so asinine and silly and off the wall with this netting, and that was the first thing that popped in my head. 
By the way, I thought the netting play was so cool. Oh, it was. Because once every team's going to have it, it's going to be in all 30 ballparks. And now you're going to have guys being absolutely fearless because you're going to go in and try and catch that thing. No longer are you flying into fans. You know the Derek Jeter fly in, bleeding? Yeah. Those days are over. You're now going to be flying into the net. Like, the who was the Met player that did it? Jeff McNeil, all-star Jeff McNeil. So he flies into the net and doesn't go into the stands, and the net brings him back out, and he lands on his feet. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's going to change how players go for foul balls. Yeah, and it, it also, if you're a fan of comic books, it looks like a Spider-Man web where he pops in and pops out. But anyway, we'll get past that. So uh, Christian Yelich, we saw him play this week in, in Oakland against the A's. And, well, he leads the NL in home runs and batting average. He trolls Josh Bell of the pathetic Pittsburgh Pirates in RBIs. And no NL player has won the Triple Crown since Joe Medwick in 1937. That was a good year. But five AL players have won the Triple Crown since then. Ted Williams twice, Carlos Shremsky. I'm blanking on the other two. Maggie. And Miguel, Miguel Carrera was the most recent player to do it. Buying or selling, Christian Yelich will win the NL Triple Crown. I'll buy it because Bell's not been playing well. <laughs> Please, I don't want to talk about that. So he, he can do both the average. He can do the home run. He just has to – he's got to catch Bell. I, I'm buying. I'm buying he can be the first Triple Crown winner in the National League since 1937. 1937. So you said – so you said how, how many have done it in the American League? Five guys have done it. Okay, so Ted Williams. Carly Shremsky. Ted Williams. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Yaz, Miguel Cabrera. I had the list. I should have had it in front and of me. who's the other? Who is the other guy to win the trip? Did Frank oh, Robinson? Oh, it was Frank Robinson. Yeah. You're welcome. I got all five. Yeah, well, I wasn't around when any of those guys played, so. Uh, like I was? You think I was around when Mantle or? I don't know. I mean, you're a big, you're a big Frank Robinson fan. What year? What, what year? What, Yaz, was I alive for? Yeah, Yaz. Yeah, you would have been. Yaz was like 79 or 80, something like that. We're both alive for Miguel Cabrera, at least. I was alive for Cabrera. That was only seven years ago. Maybe Yaz was earlier in the 70s. All, All right, right, what else you got? All right, so uh, do you still believe the Yankees are the most hated team in baseball? Oh, yeah. Okay. All there, right. there's, there, I don't think anyone's close. Well, there's a new team that could become the next generation of uh, villains in baseball, and, uh, well, we talk about them a lot on this program. That'd be the Houston Astros. Buying or selling the Houston Astros will replace the New York Yankees as baseball's biggest villain. I'm selling. Why are they the victim? I mean, why, why are they the villain? Because they, again, they go out and get, they go out and got Zach Granke. They have all these guys under control. They got Justin Verlander at the deadline. This is stuff the Yankees used to do. Well, they go get these guys, get rid of their prospects, bring these guys in, and win. Astro fan will never be as obnoxious as Yankee fan, so I'm selling. Uh, I'm with you 100% on that as someone that grew up on the East Coast. All right, last one. So McDonald's is designing a voice-activated drive through and robotic deep fryers as the burger giant works to streamline its menu and operations to speed up service. The company is testing voice recognition software at a drive through in suburban Chicago. Inside the restaurant, a robot also tosses chicken, fish, and fries into vats of oil. Both technologies are meant to shorten customer wait times that executives acknowledge have grown in recent years. McDonald's has also stopped serving some burgers and given franchises more control over their menus recently to simplify operations. Buying or selling robots making our food. As someone who's in the food industry, 
there could be problems, but you know what? I could buy it because humans, I can tell you as someone who's in the restaurant business, humans um, make a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot of mistakes done in kitchens. Look at your, your overhead. It will be uh, bring a lot of money. Have you, uh, have you ever watched Bar Rescue? Uh, I have. And oh my God, some of the kitchens in those bars are so disgusting and under code. Um, I'd be buying. I can tell you right now, you could get it so more efficient, so more faster, but you got to get the technology right. But once you get that technology right, oh, I guess with, with fast food, do you know that the Big Mac, you want, you want, a, little, uh, you want a little McDonald's knowledge? Nuggy nug. We got about two minutes. Do you know the Big Mac was created by a franchisee? And not, so Ray Kroc was the creator yeah. of. It's a great movie they did on him, by the way. Of McDonald's. McDonald's corporate did not create the Big Mac. The Big Mac was actually created by a franchisee. In San Bernardino, I believe. So you think about how many Big Macs have been sold. Remember, they've always keeping track of Big Macs? Or was it just hamburgers? When they'd say 60 billion sold. I think it's, I think it's hamburgers. Yeah. Well, the Big Mac, the most popular, was not created by by McDonald's itself. It was cre created by a franchisee. Well, uh, there's a Big Mac museum in the McDonald's by my uh, childhood home, which is interesting. So, uh, by the way, before we you know, before we go, I want to I want to promote that we have a, a great guest list tomorrow. Oh, we Tony Larusa is going to be by tomorrow. Tony Larusa. We have uh, the Aviators manager coming on because we're going to be playing the Aviators game after we're done with Ace Cats Live tomorrow. That's right. Tomorrow we're going to have the Aviators game on. Since no A's game, we're going to have the Aviators on at 7 o'clock. And we have the Pitching Ninja, Rob Friedman, coming on tomorrow. So the we'll get a Pitching lot. Ninja. Ninja. Yeah. That's all we got? That's all we got. Yeah, well, tomorrow. I'm so, I'm so efforting to get Doolittle on the show, but between him needing to get his joints oiled and you picking up children, there's a lot of going back and forth with Do. Do you need help? Do you need to get some, get you some high-powered guys or... I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but but that'll be it for today. Well, Tony LaRusso tomorrow, I guarantee you, you're going to love it as an A's fan. Well, thank you for listening for A's Cast Live. We're here at Plank. We're going to be here for how long are we going to be here till? Whenever you want to leave. Well, we're, we, we're done now, technically working. Well, I mean, I'll be working, but you're not. You're working? What are you doing? I got to tear down. I got, I, got, I got a lot of stuff to do. Oh, boy. Cat, who works in sales. Cat, how'd she do? How'd she do? Come on, Cat. Come on. I don't care about the shoes. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. We will be back tomorrow from 4 to 7. We're going to have the Pitching Ninja. We're going to have Tony LaRusso. Tony LaRusso, the Hall of Famer. The manager of the Aviators. Fran Reardon. Fran Reardon. Fran Reardon, the manager. Uh, and then after us, we're going to have the Aviators game. The Aviators game. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. We'll see you all tomorrow from 4 to 7. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.